Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Want to make a podcast? Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easily and distribute it everywhere. And even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters. Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else your podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I've discovered Spotify for podcasters, I just enjoy putting these podcasts out for everyone to really like. I highly recommend you give it a try. It's so easy to use. Download the Spotify for podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started today. It's 49ers Cutback Podcast time. Welcome to the show. This is going to be a good one because we're going to be talking about uh, a lot of 49ers topics, including breakout players, Alex. That's I'm true. excited about it's, the breakout defensive players that we're going to be able to talk about. It is the 49ers offseason and in a shocking turn of events, but specifically today, more specifically, it is defensive breakout players and who these guys are on the defense for the 49ers that could break out in a huge way. So chat, if you're excited, hit the like button and the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell if you haven't already for more of these conversations. You don't want to miss them when they go live here. And also start populating chat with names that you want maybe us to talk about or maybe guys that you think we're not even going to mention that you want to hear an opinion on. We want to hear from you, so make sure you drop them down there below. Much like Herman Cruz is already letting us know that he doesn't trust Sala's leadership abilities. That's fine. Robert Sala, though, New York Jet coach, not not for us to worry about today. Yeah, I think Herman is actually saying Saul is going to be with the Niners within the next two years. Well, yeah. All right, well, possibly. <laughs> so uh, we'll see if Saul ends up coming back. I hope not for Saul's case. I, I would want like him to see him yeah. uh, do just fine over there in, in New York. Maybe he'll be a breakout coach in the league this year. 
Uh, this episode is going to be about breakout defensive players. I think it's going to be really fun to talk about. Uh, that it is, and that it is. Uh, hopefully, like you just said, hopefully Robert Sala finds success with the Jets. I want Robert Sala to be successful as a coach. I don't want him to go out and fail and have to come back to San Francisco. As much as I personally personally would like that, I think a lot of 49ers fans would love to have Robert Sala back in San Francisco, especially seeing as you're probably going to be losing to Miko Ryan's at the end of this year. All of that is great and good. I don't want the detriment of someone else's coaching career, though, in order to bolster our our coaching staff. Yeah, I don't, I don't normally root for other coaches to, you know, fail at their job so that way they no. can come back to the 49ers. Unless they're Jim Thomasula. Oh, uh, but I don't want him to come back to the 49ers. Fail at his job is a different story. Just, just fail and then never end up back in San Francisco. Yeah, I, I don't think he's going to have a problem with that. No. An absolute uh, no. problem there. So. No, not, not even a little bit, Ant. Not even <laughs> a smidge of a bit there. Uh, look, though, defensive standout players. Let's let's start with uh, a guy that's that's on your list that you're you're excited about. Who who's the the first guy that you're excited about to be a potential defensive standout for San Francisco in 2022? I think it has to be Charvarius Ward, the new guy. I mean, when you're adding a player of his uh, caliber and you're paying him the amount of money that you're paying him, he, you expect him to kind of take that next step. You know, in in the maturation process, and I really think he can do it. And part of the reason I think that he can have one of these big years is the fact that he's going to be playing with the 49ers defensive line in front of him. Now he played with a good defensive line, especially in 2019 with the Kansas City Chiefs. They were they were really good, and his numbers reflect that. He was a very good player in 2019, and he made a lot of plays, including starting 16 games for them at corner. So he's very experienced. His career is he's played a lot of games. So I'm I'm excited about his potential being able to play, you know, with this defense. And I think that playing in with Nick Bosa and those guys in front of him, and not to mention Fred Warner being able to kind of, you know, show everyone where they're supposed to be, I think it's going to be really good for Ward. I would agree with you on that. I think it'd be great for Ward in, in that sense and in that regard. But look, the reality is with Traverius Ward is I, I don't know. I don't know what to think. I do think this is going to be a breakout defensive player, but here's the thing. Will people consider this a breakout if he puts up the numbers that he put up in 2019 and in 2021 in Kansas City, where he has a couple of picks, has a lot of pass breakups, um, you know, has has some tackles, doesn't really give up anything huge or crazy. Are people going to consider that breakout? That's that's the only issue I have is I think 49ers fans have a kind of ridiculously high standard because I thought Emmanuel Mosley had himself one hell of a year last year. Uh, no, no touchdowns given up at all. And there's there are some people who were not high on Emmanuel Mosley's performance and did not think he played that well at all. And I've heard a lot of knock on Emmanuel Mosley and people wanting him to to move into the nickel or hey, this guy can't be our number two, even though last year he was pretty much our number one from from week two, week three on once he was healthy. Um, I, I I expect Traverius Ward to put up the same kind of numbers, maybe a little bit more in the pass defense category, maybe more pass breakups. I don't know what it is about the Niners and secondary players. It just seems like interceptions don't <laughs> they don't happen. It just doesn't occur unless your name's like Richard Sherman or, uh, oh gosh, Akilah Witherspoon in, in that 2019 season very yeah. early on where it seemed like they were racking up a bunch. It just doesn't, it hasn't happened a lot. So I'm not going to hold my breath on it. But if he puts up those types of numbers right there, Ant, it would be absolutely huge for the secondary. Yeah, and you know, you know who was one of our breakout players last year? Emmanuel Mosley. Oh, shocking. Uh, and Mosley had himself. Wait, a, the, the guy we did the video about because he was the man for the job? Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. He was the E-man for the job. <laughs> exactly right. You know, and I think that we're going to see a little bit of a rise here from Ward. Now, he's going to be expected to do a lot more as cornerback one. He's going to be lined up against, you know, some really good receivers, especially in the West. 
uh, but all throughout the entire league. And not to mention the AFC West. There's going to be a lot of a lot of players there that he's going to have to go against, but he has a lot of familiarity with those players. He's been able to lock those guys down. I think we see a little bit of a rise for him. I wouldn't be surprised to see him make the Pro Bowl, and I think that is good enough for San Francisco's defense. Not to mention going ahead and adding Jason Brett's wisdom. Jason mm-hmm. Brett and him have become fast friends already. There's going to be some things there that that's going to help. Also, Brett and Emmanuel Mosley's versatility, being able to add them with him. You're going to be able to move them inside and out, and there's going to be a lot of flexibility for D'Amico Ryans to be able to institute things uh, that benefits every single one of those players and their skill sets. I do see scenarios, and this is where I think things will change this this year compared to previous seasons since the Niners have been relevant in the Kyle Shanahan era as, as coaching, as far as coaching goes. You now have a guy in Traverius Ward that may present you the opportunity, Ant, to not just be flexible with him, but literally stick him on a guy. Yeah. Especially if he's dealing well in that game, right? Handling well. He's been shut down, locked down on the outside. If he's been following Cooper Cup around or whatever, and they start moving Cooper Cup into the slot, doing different things with him, they may sit there and go, hey, you know what? We know you have flexibility. We know you can play inside, outside. You've done it all in this league. We're just going to ride the hot hand right now. You're hot. We may stick with you, and you may have a little bit more of that because of the versatility of Rhett to play outside. Mosley can play outside. You don't necessarily have to put these guys on one side of the field. I think you would love to be able to just right. do it that way. But in in worst-case scenarios, someone's not on their A game that day, and Charvarius Ward is. You have a guy that you might trust now to go, hey, you know what? Today, you just right there. The rest of the rest of the way, you worry about that guy. Yeah, and now D'Amico Ryan doesn't have to worry about putting a safety over the top all the time. True. I mean, that was one of the problems with having Ombre Thomas out there or Diameter Lenore or Josh Norman, whoever it was opposite of Emmanuel Mosley, was he continually had to put a safety over the top. And when he didn't, a big play happened. That's when somebody made something happen. And then touchdowns happen. I, I was watching that Cincinnati game, oh. you know, and that's one of those things that happened. As soon as Ombre Thomas was singled up, boom, touchdown that quick. And you just got to worry about those things happening. So I think with Charvarius Ward, it's going to change the way D'Amico Ryans is able to approach defense. And I'm excited about that opportunity. Uh, very, very much the case. And and look, I, I'm extremely excited about what what this guy Charvarius Ward can bring to the table. I'm also excited for the, the entirety of the cornerback room. For a guy like Ombre Thomas, for a guy like Diamond Lenoir, uh, Womack, for everyone that they have in this room now that they've drafted, brought in these past few years, the pressure is off to develop and be a guy that can straight up lock down. Lock down right now on the outside opposite yeah. of Charvarius Ward, opposite of Emmanuel Mosley. You have time to get your feet wet, kids. Get get developed. Get an understanding of what's going on in the system, what is expected of you, and how to perform at the level you need to perform. And then turn around and take care of business when the time comes. Um, when you're drafting these guys third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round this late in drafts, you know, asking those guys to come in right away and be the dude right away is is a big burden. It's a tall order. It's a tall task. That was the case for Ombre last year. Yeah. And it wasn't just that, Ant. It wasn't just that. It was also, hey, let's do this after having a full year off from COVID and not having played football. Yeah. At a high level, that's ridiculous amount of pressure. That's a lot of, that's a huge learning curve. That's a huge growth curve. So having this guy in there too bolsters the room, not just in terms of your front end right now, in terms of guys that you trust to get it done, but bolsters the back end as well because it gives them more time. It buys them an opportunity to get to a point where you can make tough decisions in the future, which if you're the 49ers, you like having tough decisions to make in terms of who plays on your roster and who needs to go. Yeah, I mean, they were definitely thrust into it. You know, John yeah. Lenore and Ombre Thomas were thrust out there and expected to make some plays in a big way. And, you know, for the most part, they did a pretty good job. I mean, mm-hmm. they had their struggles, of course. But, you know, with Ombre Thomas's case, like you said, I mean, he sat on a full year in 2020. 
that's no joke. Like that's hard to come back from not getting all those reps, stepping away, also not getting that, you know, grind with your body, not mm -hmm. continually doing mm -hmm. all the workout things you're supposed to do. Uh, and I'm sure he's going to be bigger. He's going to be stronger. He's going to be faster and more in tune with what D'Amico Ryan's in this defense is asking him to do. I'm really excited about his potential. I just wonder, you know, where he's going to fit in this 49er secondary with the guys they already have in front of him. You know, Emmanuel Mosley, uh, Charvarius Ward, and then the, you know, re-addition of Jason Verrett. You know, where does where does Ombre Thomas uh, fit in there? The one thing I know about him, he's a competitor. So he's going to come in there and work hard. And, and let's see how it all shakes out. And Jason Verrett's got to get healthy, too. So um, we'll see what happens with that cornerback room. But I am a lot more confident in the cornerback room this year than I was last year. Uh, definitely, definitely the case, Ata. Definitely a deeper room. Room, definitely a more talented room at the top and uh, some guys in the in the middle and back end of that roster that we've seen playing big games now and know that there's not just something there and but with time it can only potentially get better so you feel really good about where this room sits compared to last season where it was just question marks yeah. galore and then injuries galore and and then we were sitting there having to rely on josh norman so there was there was there was that the oh, peanut yeah. punch the peanut punch yeah. was fine early the peanut punch was fine early after after about a handful of games though and I was, I was done with the peanut punch. Well, because pretty much everyone figured out that that was all that was coming. That's all that was left. Be a tackle, yeah, that, so that's all that was left in the team. It, it, it didn't work out. I, I'm very appreciative for what Josh Norman did for the team and helping them you know, get where they got. Um, but it, it's definitely something that you don't want in the long term. So I'm glad that they're able to move you know, to the so younger players and, and really good players. And I think it's going to be interesting that we're going to have two potentially undrafted free agents that are going to be starting at the cornerback position between Mosley and Ward. Uh, yeah, it's, it's looking that like that's going to be the case. And depending on what happens with Jason Verrett and, and his health and where he's at by the time we get to season, is he ready? Is he not? Um, if he is not ready, then one of the guys I do expect to be a breakout defensive player that may even push to keep that job long term would be Darquez Denard, a guy that the Niners are very, very high on. Um, he's definitely bounced around the league a lot, but there seems to be a lot of trust there. And there seems to be something within him that has kind of been kicked to another gear and a switch has been flipped. He's kind of found and refound his identity in himself on the football field in terms of what he wants to be, what he needs to do and how to go do it. So it's definitely a guy that I think could be a breakout player, but it really is going to come down to the health of Jason Verrett because if Jason Verrett is healthy, Ant, I don't think a healthy Jason Verrett is losing out on a, on a position to be on the football field or on this active 53-man roster to anyone, anyone else in the cornerback room. Yeah, I'd be really surprised if that happened. I mean, the versatility that Verrett has to be able to play inside and outside is probably unmatched with all the other players. I mean, the other players are good, but they can't do the things and change the direction the way he does. Accurate. Um, but coming back from an ACL is no joke. Now, I think he's done it so many times that he's definitely going to have an understanding of where he's at. This is not a, this is not his first walk in this park. No, and yeah. I wonder if he's going to be ready to go when training camp starts. You know, yeah, could this be cool. one of those things that lingers into the year, or is he going to be able to go? Uh, but Denard's a good player to bring up because the 49ers definitely like something about him or they wouldn't have brought him back. And they wouldn't be teasing that role of him starting at the nickel spot, whether that was Fred Warner, D'Amico Ryans. Uh, so I think he's going to you know, play into the 49ers plans for this season. I think he has a good shot to make the team. So we'll see what happens. But Denard's another guy with versatility to play outside and then now moving inside. And if the inside is really the spot that they want him, this could be a thing that you know pushes his career to the next level and allows him you know, more longevity, and he's not going to be out of the league, which it appeared he was after last year. Well, Jay and the Bay just gave us a Huff and Banks breakout players this season, and we'll get to that. We'll get to at least one of those guys, Jay, in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Heather with the 499 Super Chat, shout out to having Ombre Thomas's mom in chat. And if that is Ombre Thomas's mom, number one, welcome yeah. to the 49ers Cutback. And number two, you raised yourself one uh, one heck of a young man. Yeah, shout out to... Shout out to uh, 
Mrs. Thomas. Absolutely. Yeah, well done. Absolutely. And, yeah. and glad to glad to have you here and uh, glad that your son is a member of the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, and who's another guy on your defensive breakout list that you're looking at this year that you think could, could, be, a, could be a star, could be someone who explodes onto the scene for this defense and making potentially life for the 49ers a, a living nightmare in 2023, especially if a contract's coming up or something. Yeah, and the contract is going to be coming up, oh, and yikes. this is going to make Lou all kinds of exciting because oh, I'm about to go with Samson Ebucom. Oh, boy. Uh, Ebucom was a guy that, you know, playing for the Rams, we got to see him a lot, but he played an outside linebacker role. His, you know, the things that he was asked to do were different from what he was asked to do when he came to play for the 49ers and Chris Kacarek where primarily he's playing with his hand in the ground now, coming off the edge in the wide nine and playing opposite of Nick Bosa. Uh, he only started 11 games for the 49ers, but had a lot of production, four and a half sacks, including a nice stretch run at the end of the year where I felt like he was finally coming into his own, admittedly in his press conferences last week, talking about the fact that he was still developing his pass rush moves and that some of the moves weren't working early on and they started to develop later. I think that uh, he's going to have himself a nice year. And I think there's, you know, just some of the things that go along with that, including being able to play for Chris Kacarek for a second year. I think you just get better the longer you're with Kacarek. And we've seen other guys that, you know, leave and then end up coming back. And I think he's going to have himself a big year. And it's a contract year. He's motivated. He wants to go out and get a lot of money. And I think he's hoping the 49ers are going to pay him. But we'll see uh, what happens. Uh, yeah, uh, look, Samson Ebicom and, and what he could be adding to the table and what he could be doing is huge for San Francisco. I think year two for playing for Chris Kacarek, like you brought up, Ant, is probably the biggest thing. Um, just because we've seen the development of a lot of members of this D-line and the jump they take from year one to year two uh, to year three to year four. I mean, however long they're ending yeah. up here or staying in San Francisco, it ends up being a, a kind of a big deal. Um, not to mention the fact that you said he started 11 games last year. He recorded the most quarterback hits in his career last season in San Francisco making this shift. And this is a guy who, when he first came into the league, was originally playing inside linebacker for the Rams and then moved to outside linebacker in that hybrid 3-4 defense, playing out in space, coming down to the line and rushing, and is just fully starting to make that transition. And we're seeing this sort of blossoming. We also saw that from Charles Amenehu as well last year coming in. Uh Jordan Willis? I mean, this seems to be the case with a lot of Chris Kacarek guys. You give them about half the season, and all of a sudden, things start to click, even if you bring them in at the halfway point. By the end of the season, or at some point during said season, once they're here with Chris Kacarek, things start to click and gel, and it's like, man, I can't wait till he gets a full offseason. Hey, I can't wait till he gets two full offseasons. Hey, I can't wait. That's what Samson Ebicon is, is basically leading towards right now. Um, and a lot of people talked about, you know, hey, if the one of those talented edgers, we move up and get one of them, you might not have, you might not have had to because you have Samson become sitting here ready to explode in 2022. Yeah, he's got freakishly freakish athletic ability. I mean, the dude is crazy fast. Uh, got a really good first step. I was watching the Bengals game. He made a couple big plays on Burrow as well. Uh, and I think that the added depth around him is going to allow him some versatility. The fact that they moved uh, Armstead in last year, it definitely changed the way that you know people played defense to the, against the 49ers. And the 49ers were able to kind of move people around. Uh, and that was big for Arden Key. And I think that's going to be big for Samson Ebicom this year. I think he could get moved inside sometimes. And there could be some flexibility there, whether it's Kamoko Ture or Charles Aminihu that play next to him. I think at times you're going to see Ebicom match up one-on-one with the guard. And that could be a problem for opposing offenses. So I'm excited about seeing what his production could be you know, coming up this season, because I think he's going to come into his role now. And I think Chris Kacarek now understands how to use him. And because of Armstead moving inside and the added players they've added around him, there's a, there's going to be a lot of big plays in his future. Uh, I would hundred percent agree with you on this. And look, I, I have to stick on the D line because I think the D line is, 
the area where as a fan, number one as a fan, and number two as a coaching staff, you're looking for the breakout. You're looking for the guys to to be the breakout players because you have tough decisions to make. You have a lot of guys on one-year deals. Um, how are you going to build this D-line going forward? How do you need to? What does Drake Jackson look like? What role will he be filling? There's a lot of questions that need to be answered. That's why you have 13, 14 guys here on this D-line, Ant, playing edge, playing interior tackle, playing a hybrid and a mix of both that they have to start making decisions about and figuring out what the future of this this front four is going to look like for the 49ers. And Charles Aminihu is someone who definitely factors into that. You traded for him at the deadline last year when a lot of people people thought the Niners should sell. The Niners shouldn't sell. They, they're not going to buy. They haven't done yeah. enough to buy it, and it's time to just sell. Let's move off, guys. Let's free up cash space. Let's reload for, for 2022. There's a lot of people who felt that way. The Niners did nothing, and we expected no moves, and all of a sudden, bang, out of nowhere, Charles Amenehu lands in San Francisco from Houston and does big things once he gets here. He was only on the roster for nine games for San Francisco, Ant, and in the playoffs, by the time we got to playoffs, all of a sudden he was making huge plays, a big tackle for a loss uh, against, uh, I believe it was the Texans, the team he came from, on a third down and short to get them off the field and force Houston to take a field goal attempt rather than continue driving, eat the rest of the clock, and go down and potentially score a touchdown going into half was huge. He had a, a, a bunch of big plays for San Francisco in this 2021 campaign, and with a second year under Chris Kisarek and a full, first full offseason, you have to imagine that role is going to expand. He's going to potentially explode as well. Yeah, I don't know how you can't get excited about the possibilities that Charles Minahue brings this team. And, you know, he said it himself, you know, a full year in this system with Chris Kisarek is going to be doing big things for him. And I think there's a lot of reasons why, you know, he can definitely play better this year than even he played last year at the end of the year. And I think everyone would be excited with the production that he provided last year. And one of those things is no Arden Key. Uh, without Arden Key, that's going to open a a role for Charles Aminahue. And we've already heard at practice that he's been playing on the interior. Uh, the media went ahead and asked that question. And, of course, D'Amico Ryans doesn't want to talk about it. But it definitely means that there's a possibility that you're going to see Charles Aminahue filling that Arden Key role. I think it's going to be a combination of a bunch of people because of who they've added to this team, including Kamoko Ture, bringing back Kerry Hyder, and then Jordan Willis as well. I think every one of those guys can play in those roles. But the way that Chris Kacerik uses his rotation, I'm excited about how these guys are going to be able to put together and the mismatch groups that we're going to get out of it. It's going to be nice to be able to have guys that can be in there when Bosa and Armstead are out getting breaks and still being able to provide you know, instant pressure and get after the quarterback. Uh, that's one of the things that Aminahue brought, and it's one of the most sneaky moves uh, that John Lynch has made in his tenure as general manager, getting Aminahue uh, for pennies on the dollar when no one was even paying attention, and now he's going to be in a contract year, and he's looking to cash out, and I think he's going to have himself a big year. And I still can't believe he's as young as he is. I mean, he's, he's extremely young. Well, this is what I mean, because like, I mean, people who don't realize this, too, Samson Ebicom is 26. Yeah. He's 26 years old. I mean, he's not an old man by any means. In fact, in the next two years or so, he should be coming into the, the peak, the prime of his career, what he's going to actually be, hopefully for four to five seasons. So he's still got a lot of potentially good playing and barring, obviously, injuries and continual growth and development. And some people may say, you know, well, that growth and development won't happen unless it's with Chris Kacarek. And to that, I would not argue against it and say, <laughs> Sam Savicom, keep that in mind when making contract decisions. But that's beside the point, because the reality is, is the same thing can be said about Charles Amenehu. It's ridiculous how young he is. Dude, he's 24. Yeah. He's 24 years old. And he doesn't act like a 24-year-old. He does not playing like a 24-year-old. He's definitely developed far beyond his years at this point at 24 years old. I didn't look at him and think 24-year-old. I thought this was going to be a guy who's going to be like the Epicom range, 26, 27, maybe 28 years old. It's a guy who's, you know, 
been a spot role type of guy. It just you know, it hasn't really panned out. Then you start looking at the numbers and you start looking at how long he's been in the league, how fresh he still is in, in terms of his playing career here and figuring out the game of football at the NFL level and also where he was to start his career in Houston. Yeah. In that situation, it's not necessarily a good situation with all the turmoil that's surrounding Deshaun Watson, all the turmoil surrounding Bill O'Brien and the front office and the coaching staff and what you had there and the distractions. It's not a healthy environment for growth and developing and working on your craft because there's a thousand other things going on that take you away from football every five seconds. Guess what? Not the case in San Francisco and and poised and primed to to blow up in a huge way. Yeah, you know what is the case is you're going to have Armstead and Bosa line up opposite yeah, of you probably, there's also, there's also that. which is going to create one-on-one mismatches, and that's good for Charles Aminu. That's good for Samson Ebicom and pretty much the rest of the defensive line. Uh, I can't think that of any defensive lineman that's not looking down at Bosa and Armstead and saying, yes, thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> at, you know, as Ebicom said, go ahead and slide your protection. Go double-team and triple-team those guys and leave me one-on-one. And I think the same things can be said about Aminu. And I think this combination of guys together with speed and power is going to be really fun to watch. I'm excited about this defensive line. And there are two of them that could have absolutely breakout seasons. And if they both do have breakout seasons... It will probably be a lot of it because of the secondary as well. The addition of Traverius Ward is going to allow the 49ers, you know, to be able to hold the back end a little bit longer and allow these guys that extra second to get to the quarterback. Look for all these numbers to go up. And I'm really excited about this defensive line. It's going to be great. I agree with you on that, man, 100% that what, the, what you can do with your secondary and, and how you've improved at least your cornerback position. Uh, the way that they have uh, allows your, your D line to not be perfect uh, on situations where maybe you're a little gassed on a drive because you've been going hard and you've been going hard for a few series or they, they were able to complete some underneath stuff and, you know, just kind of chip away and extend a drive longer than you'd like. Um, those late, late aspects of a drive third and third and five from, you know, your own, you're, you're sitting defending your own 35. Hey, we don't need to get after the quarterback here in four seconds. If your secondary is going to lock down here and, and take care of business, if they give you five seconds to get after the quarterback, then yeah. Hey, 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 you, you got a little bit extra time. And uh, we've seen, I, I've seen enough from Charles Amenehu and Samson Ebicom who believe that this continued development and growth is is not going to end, is not going to stop. What we saw, what we've seen just out of Jordan Willis during his time in San Francisco gives me big hope because I look at Jordan, when we looked at Jordan Willis when he first came in, we saw a guy who had a lot of upside and potential, but there were some concerns in terms of his athleticism and ability to explode. And can he really be the explosive edge rusher with flexibility that could, you know, be a guy who got, you know, not not replaces, but is behind D Ford. Like is that is that what this could be? I'm very excited about what Charles Menehue brings to the table and what Samson Ebicom brings to the table in terms of their role and how they can play it. And the best part is, too, Ant, the, the way that they filled this D-line roster out in terms of the names they brought back, the guys they brought in, the versatility that they all possess. Um, you know, we, we saw last year what Kevin Gibbons, the Kevin Gibbons is of the world, right? What, what What this rotation could do. I feel like the pieces that they have now replacing a Kevin Givens type player, replacing Kentavious Street type roles and things of that nature are better. They they can do it better. They can do the Arden Key type role to the same level that I believe Arden Key can. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think they added the depth and the depth that they added maybe even is an improvement over the guys they had last sure. year. 
And that's tough to say because, I mean, they really did have some good players. Now, I still fully expect Kevin Givens to be a part of that interior defensive Agreed. line. Agreed. But the addition of Hassan Ridgeway was huge. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been questions recently about Ridgeway if he's going to be able to really play that nose tackle role. Um, but the 49ers have went with quickness. They've went with that first step ability, and that's what he has. So I'm not really worried about size. DJ Jones did it at just over 300 pounds. Hassan Ridgeway is going to be able to handle it as well. But you're right. Top to bottom, this defensive line is so much better. And I think that they're just going to continually get better because these guys are going to go out there and work against each other and work against some of the best offensive linemen with Trent Williams being on the other side. So I'm excited about the potential of this D-line. And really because Kassarik finally has a, I mean, I say finally, it's crazy to think because they've had such good defensive lines before, but finally has all the pieces, I think, to have just an absolute all pro across the board defensive line. It's going to be superb to watch. Uh, some of that does hinge, though, on Kinlaw being healthy and being able to play, you know, 17 games. Uh, very, 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 very true. Uh, Freddie Mac Dre, 24, by the way. Young AF. It is. It is Young AF. Yeah, if you, wrong, if you look at him, you do not see 24 years old. No. I mean, that dude looks like he's approaching 30. He's he's put together. This guy's very physical, and uh, I wouldn't want to be in front of him when he starts moving forward. No, the opposite, actually. And yeah. I want to be nowhere near a football field when he starts moving forward. And, right. Uh, I, I don't blame you. I don't blame him <laughs> there. Uh, look, I, I'm going to stick with one other guy on the front here. Um, I, I have to believe this, okay? I have to believe that Javon Kinlaw is going to break out this year. And and some people will be like, well, break out how? Break out and just actually be on the field and healthy break out or like break out in a big... I think what we're going to see from a Javon Kinlaw is a not a dominating sort of performance and role like we saw out of DJ Jones this past season and, and the numbers that he put together and how incredible it was and us sitting there going, can we really move on from DJ Jones? Can we do this 49ers yeah. and faithful? But I think what you can expect to see out of Javon Kinlaw is a guy who will completely solidify and define his role right now. What it's going to be for the next few years while he's continuing to develop and get healthy, continue to stay healthy. Because it's not just about being healthy for one year at this point for Kinlaw. It's about building healthy years together, being able to stay healthy, withstand that grind and things of that nature. I think you've developed, uh, obviously, a situation here with, with this front and this rotation where he doesn't have to be on the field a whole heck of a lot. But what I do expect to see from Javon Kinlaw this year is explosion off the ball, being able to get in and make some more tackles for loss. I think if he's able to do that this year, I expect him to be a breakout guy that solidifies his role as the run stopper, the guy who comes in to enforce the run with Eric Armstead so you don't lose anything that in your run defense, like kind of like we did last year. Last year's run defense and what that 2021 defense was able to do to stop the runs, get into your run fit situations and prevent teams from moving the chains by running the football. I expect Javon Kinlaw to be able to fulfill that role. If he doesn't fulfill that role, he won't be a breakout defensive player this year, but it's a strength of his that I think is going to play well with the pieces and the names they already have on this roster. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things you're right he can do is he can stop the run. And he's going to be playing next to a defensive player that's the best interior defensive player he's ever played with in Eric Armstead. And I think that is going to help him a lot because Armstead is going to be the one eating those double teams. They're going to be sliding protection towards Nick Bosa. There's going to be possibilities for Ken Law on early downs to get out for the quarterback. Uh, I think he's only going to be on their early downs. I think he's going to be a two down defensive tackle in this league. But he's one of those guys that has a quick first step and has a lot of power and size. And the fact that he slimmed his frame as far as uh, fat, but but added more lean muscle. I mean, the guy looks freakish. And I think he's got a lot of ability, and I think he's out to prove something this year. He's out to prove that he can go get it done in a big way. 
And I think he's going to do it. And I think the run defense for the 49ers is going to benefit from having Kinlaw and Armstead on the interior together. And I think some of the linebackers are going to benefit as well because uh, these guys are going to have a nice rotation. And with Kinlaw being able to potentially play up to, you know, what he can do on the field, we'll see. Uh, but right now his injuries have just been too much and he hasn't been able to stay on the field. But we saw small glimpses in 2020. Uh, so I'm hopeful that we're going to see those glimpses become, you know, the norm for Javon Kinlaw. I hope I hope that is the case as well, Ant. But who's the next guy on your list that you're looking at to be a breakout defensive player in 2022? I think it could be Talanoa Hufanga, you know, and I think we're looking at some of the things that people are saying about him. Uh, the fact that he played, you know, 41% of snaps, defensive snaps last year, I think is impressive, which means he was on the field a lot. When it comes to Hufanga, you know, he's, he's one of those guys that's got a natural uh, nature to find the football. Like, he just wants to go get it, uh, and he makes plays happen. I think he's working his butt off. Uh, but one thing that was big for Hufanga was just understanding what he was seeing and understanding the system. And I think what from what D'Amico Ryan said, now he understands what the offense is trying to do to him. And that's a big part of the game is understanding what the offense is going to try to do and then being able to get there. Because Hufanga's speed is always questioned. But if you understand what the offense is going to do, you have a heads up and you can get there a little bit early. That's why there, you would hear the term football fast. There's guys who are fast and there's guys that are football fast. I think Talano Ufonga can be football fast because he's a student of the game and he really understands what it takes you know, to be a safety in the league. So I'm looking forward to potentially him having a breakout season. I like that, Ant. I do like that a lot. And Talano Ufonga definitely could. Um, for me, it's another one of those things where if he is the starter, I do expect him to break out, but it's not. I'm not convinced yet. I'm not convinced he is going to Which be the fine. guy. Yeah. Now, granted, there is a lot of things leaning that direction. The comments from D'Amico Ryan's, what he has said, you know, how they've been building him up. Then again, I don't expect them to not build up a second-year player in their system. That shocking, shockingly, and to uh, to my knowledge, I did not know this pre-show. 41% of snaps last season. That's a lot of snaps. Yeah. That's a lot of snaps played. They did turn and, and lean on him a lot. He was the guy, the next man up behind Jaquiski Tart. And, and guess what? Jaquiski Tart is not here. Yeah. He is not around. He is not available. Can George Odom solidify that spot? Is Tarverius Moore being back from injury enough to supersede and supplant him? Maybe. Was the reason why he was the next man up because Tarverius Moore wasn't available? Or is he just better than Tarverius Moore? Training camp is going to determine and decide these things. It's going to let us know where this is, where this stands. Um, and look, I think if at the beginning of the year, Tavares Moore isn't healthy, then Talanoa Hufanga will be the guy, and this will be his opportunity. He will need to break out, because if he wants to hold that job, a guy like Tavares Moore isn't just going to come in and just sit on his hands and do nothing. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things that D'Amico Ryans is going to have to do is know his strengths and weaknesses so he can put him in opportunities to be successful, because these opposing offensive uh uh, coordinators, they know that Talano Funga is the weakness on the defense uh, in the secondary. And it's not so much him around the box or him, you know, going ahead and making big hits, but in coverage. I mean, if you're going to, if you look at the secondary and you have Emmanuel Mosley, Jimmy Ward, Hufanga, and Charverius Ward, who do you think you want to attack? I want to isolate Talano Hufanga and go after him because I've seen the struggles that he's had, you know, over the years, uh, especially last year as a rookie, but also at USC. I think that when it comes down to it, Hufanga is going to get better and better. So I'm excited about his potential. Um, but I do think right now he's going to have to be the one that steps up at a higher level because I think he's the one that's going to get picked on by other teams. Fair. I mean, the, the teams would be smart. Teams would be smart to go after Talano Hufanga. And if they're not going after Talano Hufanga, Ant, then I guess I just don't know anything anymore. 
I, I, I don't know. I guess I just don't understand <laughs> how this game of football works and how you're supposed to play chess and wh what area you're supposed to be attacking. Uh, Jag with a $2 super chat. Thank you for that, Jag. At TCC, if we go 9-8, and eight, but Trey improves, is it a good year? No. Not, <laughs> Thank not, you. Not by the standards at which Kyle Shannon and John Lynch you know, have put forth for this team yes. and the standards that this organization historically has. You go out and you try to win championships, and the 49ers owe it to Trent Williams, George Kittle, you know, and these guys that are coming back, Debo Samuel, to go out and try to win a championship. Now, would I love for Trey Lance to get better? Yes. But guess what? I expect Trey Lance to get better while winning football games. The whole argument was, from a lot of people, was we can win with almost any quarterback. Look what we're doing with Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm not one of those ones that believe that. Correct. But if that's the case, we should be able to win with a rookie quarterback in Trey Lance, who I believe, you know, sky is the limit for. Mm -hmm. um, but you definitely need to win. Every opportunity you have to win, go win. So, no, I think that wouldn't be a good year. I think that's one of those things. I don't know why we do that. Why, what, winning They're winning not, is always a good year. These these things these things are, they can be mutually exclusive, right? You can go 9-8, and eight, Trey improves, and it can be a, a net positive in the long term, right? For the franchise and the organization, it can be a net positive. This is this is correct, but in this situation, you don't want these things to be exclusive. You want them to be connected. You want Trey's improvement to directly correlate to a good record and a better season and a, and a better finish, ideally. Super Bowl win, Super Bowl appearance. I mean, anything anything that would be an improvement over an NFC Championship game loss is what you're looking for right now, and you want that to coincide, connect, correlate directly to Trey Lance's growth and development. Because if it does, then you, I mean. It's not just a correlation at this point. It's it's now proven, right? You you took the chance, you drafted, you developed the kid, you gave him a year. He comes in, he improves his performance every game. The Niners' offense steadily gets better and more dangerous and more deadly as the season progresses. And by the time you get to playoffs, your defense is playing lights out. Your defense also doesn't feel like it has to do everything. It doesn't have to carry the weight of the world on the shoulders. And your offense knows it can go out, take some chances, take some risks, and be as aggressive as humanly possible because at the end of the day, well, you got a young man back there who's slinging this thing like like only a handful of other guys in league history have ever been able to do on top of all the other offensive weapons you have, on top of how great your defense is. You want these things to correlate and mesh together and, and lead to something different. You don't want the Niners to struggle as Trey is trying to figure it out. You want the Niners to have success. It doesn't make any... It literally, if if you knew that, if Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch knew that going into the year, right? We're gonna go with Trey. It's gonna be a down year because of it. We're not gonna we're not gonna do as well as we want. But you know what? Trey's gonna get better, and maybe next year is better. They're not taking that deal. They're not taking that deal if they know they could roll with Jimmy Garoppolo, get to the playoffs, and make an NFC Championship game. Yeah, I mean that's the one thing, right? Everyone has a a time when it's over. Uh, and for some of these players, it's it's coming up quicker than you would like. So, you know, players are hanging around trying to win a Super Bowl. Uh, you're you're going out there and you're trying to win every single time. And Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch understand that. They're not they're not rebuilding this roster. They're reloading this roster to go out and try to win a championship. They were three points away from getting to a Super Bowl. There's nothing in my in my heart that believes that now they're gonna be like, you know what? Uh, we were so close, but you know, let's scale back and let's have a nine and eight season. Who cares? Uh, that's not what they're about. And I, I think it, you know, it will be a good year for everyone um, because I think Trey Lance is going to come out and he's going to play at a, at a high level. I think Kyle Shanahan understands what he's got in the kid and they're going to do some things that are going to take advantage of his skill set. It's going to be different at times from what you saw from Jimmy Garoppolo. But Kyle Shanahan is all about maximizing the potential of his players. And he's done a good job of surrounding them with good coaches that understand 
you know, what they need to do to get Trey to the next level. And I think Trey's one of those guys that's just working. I mean, he's out there right now uh, getting in extra work. You know, he stayed in the stayed in the facility to get extra work. Uh, that's going to show a lot about his, you know, mentality and what he's ex- going to do this season. Um, so, no, I don't think 9-8 and is a good season for the 49ers. Uh, I think that they plan on doing better. And I think playoffs is the only time in which I believe it's a good season. And I still don't think I could convince those players or coaches that playoffs is good enough. No, at this point, and having been to the playoffs in two of the last three years, having been in the NFC Championship game in two of those last three years, a playoff appearance is going to mean absolutely nothing to this team. And you know what? It should. It should mean absolutely nothing. It, it, it shouldn't be a, a thing to hang your hat on. It shouldn't be something that they're proud of. Uh, it's not something that Trey Lance should turn around, and I don't think he would turn around and go home and go, man, what a great year for my first year as the starter. Get, getting the team to the playoffs. Woo! Did it. Like, no no one is going to be sitting there happy about that. There are some 49ers fans that will talk themselves into being happy about it, Ant, but I think a majority of fans are not just going to be happy with a playoff appearance because the expectation has been set for what this roster is. And if you truly can go get it done with a as some people will put it, a mediocre garbage quarterback in Garoppolo. Jimmy Garbajolo, as some people have referred to him as. Wow, that's it took bad. me a bit to get there, and because that, I it's that's still bad. it's there's a lot of Jesus. There's a lot of Jimmy Garoppolo. Like it's just there's so much Garoppolo in Garbajolo. But anyway, uh, there's some people who truly believe that if you can get it done with Jimmy, if you can get to a Super Bowl and get to an NFC championship game with Jimmy, then, then it's anybody, right? It's it's anybody. Trey should be able to easily help us get there as well. And look, I, I think Jimmy has done a lot of good. He's done some bad. He hasn't been healthy. And we haven't seen a lot of that out of Trey Lance, which is a positive thing because that means that Trey Lance isn't just a blank slate. And he's a he, he was a blank slate when he came into San Francisco because he doesn't have a lot of quarterbacking experience under his belt. But he's been being molded by Beck. He's been being molded by Kyle Shanahan. He's been molded by his teammates, his experiences. You know, the playbook, what he's seen, what he's learned. You think you're in a really great spot right now. And I don't think settling for a 9-8 and eight or settling for just the playoffs does him or this team, the fan base, it doesn't do anyone any good. No, it doesn't. And that's the thing. The players and coaches are not going to be okay with it. And I think that's a, that's the thing that, you know, maybe fans will be okay with it, and that that's okay. Um, but thinking that this team, you know, our front office even is looking at it like, oh, the 9-8 and is good enough. Uh, that's just never going to be the case. And that, that football mentality, being in those locker rooms and understanding what it means to go out there and compete every single day, there is absolutely no one in that locker room. And there's no one in all 32 teams' locker rooms right now that's going in there like, huh, I sure hope we can go over 500 this year. Um, it would just be great if we could win a game. Yeah, no, that's not what happens. They're going out there try. hey, their first goal is, hey, let's win the first game. And then they know that they have long-term goals, including making the playoffs, because once you get there, anything can happen. Great. And Carmen, no, no one should do Jimmy like that. Don't do Jimmy like that, guys. Nobody should do Jimmy like that, but people are going to try. I've uh, been big supporters of Jimmy on this podcast. We'll continue to be big supporters of Jimmy. Wish him nothing but the best, no matter what it ends up being. Um, I just would prefer, and all honesty, I just want the Niners to have success first and foremost, and then whatever happens and however the Niners decide to have that success, if it's with Trey, great. If it's with Jimmy, great. And if it's with Trey and not Jimmy around, then good luck to Jimmy Garoppolo. But Niners success first, and then and then everything else afterwards. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy did a good job for us, you know, and now it appears we're moving into a new era that is Trey Lance. And, then you know, we can be excited about that. We can be appreciative of what Jimmy Garoppolo did and also – you know, very excited about the potential of what Trey Lance, you know, is going to do for this football team. 
Um, but all the while, I'm still wanting to talk about some breakout defensive players. There's still a couple. There's we, still a couple. We got a little off topic there with that uh, with that super, super chat, chat. But thank you for that super chat. It was glorious, and it led to a spontaneous conversation. So, way to go, Jag. Jag. Good, good job. That. Good job, my guy. Way to go, TCC. Uh, look, who's the next guy? Who's the next defensive it's, standout player? It's Dre Greenlaw. Absolutely. Uh, we expected Dre Greenlaw to have a breakout year last year. The problem was the injuries got mm-hmm. really got after him. And the fact he wasn't able to play much at all in, in 2021 it definitely changed the makeup of the defense. The way that, you know, Fred Warner had to play his position, uh, what Aziz Alshair was asked to do, and then also just how good the run defense was without Dre Greenlaw. Uh, even though it improved with Eric Armstead, you know, going inside, it would have been tremendously better with Dre Greenlaw playing in there and playing more snaps. So I think that Greenlaw is one of those guys that can is poised for a big year. Last year, I believed he could have been a Pro Bowl player if he'd have been able to stay healthy. But his influence and impact on the defense is very important. The things that he does that allows Fred Warner to be full Fred Warner, uh, which changes the game for everyone. And I think that the fact that Al Shair is now stepped up his game to another level, you're going to be able to see those guys split up some snaps. I still think Greenlaw plays more, but split some snaps at times when they get into the nickel package to be able to allow Greenlaw to get more rest. I think that'll keep him fresh at the end of the games. And when it comes down to it, there's no one I want uh, playing linebacker to stuff the run more than Dre Greenlaw. So I'm excited about him being out there and making things happen. And so that's why he's he's one of the guys that I really like. Uh, and, and you're not wrong because I expected him to be this last year. Like what what we saw out of Aziz Alshair last year in terms of the breakout role kind of coming out of nowhere, really solidifying himself as a not just a starter and but a reliable leader of this defense, a guy who can you can rely on to get the job done and be out there in space, make his tackles, whatever it is. Um, that's what I was expecting out of Dre Greenlaw. I already knew he was a reliable tackler and did a lot of positive things, but I expect him to break out and be a star, like break out into a star role. And there are some people who believe that Aziz's performance was star. It was yeah. star breakout potential. That's what a lot of people, a lot of people thought of. Um, in fact, there was plenty of people midway through the season that were telling us here when we were talking about what we had seen out of Fred Warner and the sacrifices he had made in his role and responsibility with the 49ers and how admirable it was and showed his dynamic and his versatility and how important the team was to him were telling us that Fred Warner was a bum and playing like hot garbage and that Aziz Alshair was, in fact, the best linebacker on the field for the 49ers. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to pin these guys against each other. I'm not going to do that. What I will tell you is, is that Dre Greenlaw, Dre Greenlaw is potentially one of the best linebackers we have. I still put Fred Warner above and beyond right now. But what, what Dre Greenlaw does in coverage, Ant, and the his ability to get a guy, wrap up his space, and bring them down is absolutely phenomenal. I don't think there's a linebacker that does it better than him right now on this roster in terms of coverage and securing tackles, bringing them down in space. And you add that in with what Fred does, sideline to sideline covering, and being able to cover running backs coming out of the backfield, cover tight ends, on occasion having to cover slot receivers coming out or crossing in space, his reads, his understanding of the defense, how he fits in the run scheme, and his versatility. The fact that you can put him at middle linebacker and you can flop him out to the outside. And as we saw against Arizona last year, you can stick him halfway out in an outside linebacker position, having to cover the swing pass and the bubble screens, and then demand that he come inside and cover in the box. You had his skill sets, uh, Aziz Alshayers and Dre Greenlaw's together, and you're going to get the best version of all three. But I think Dre's the one that poss- possibly shines brighter than anyone else. Yeah, those three linebackers are terrible at throwing the ball, though. Uh, they throw out the Samaritan They are the really pitch. bad. Uh, not good. Maybe they should have put Flanagan Fowles in. He was there. Maybe he can throw better. But um, I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say doubtful. You're right when it comes to Greenlaw. He is an absolutely fantastic tackler. 
that's something he does at a high level. I don't think there's a linebacker, you know, maybe in this league that tackles at the rate, you know, that Greenlaw does as far as when he gets his hands on you, you're coming down. So I'm very excited about this linebacker group together. And I think that's part of the reason that I'm excited about Dre Greenlaw, because I don't think he's ever, even though they had Quan Alexander for part of the year, Dre was a rookie. Now he's coming into his fourth year. He's going to have an understanding of what to do with a linebacker group. That's this good, not to mention a defensive line. That's going to be in front of him. That's going to be able to stop the run with Kinlaw and Armstead on the inside. I really think that this could be one of those times where he doesn't have offensive line coming at him and he's poised for a big year. Uh, we know that Aziz is going to be the flash linebacker. He's going to make plays in the backfield. He's going to flash around and make plays. But Greenlaw is the stable one. He's going to make sure he does all the right things. He's kind of like the Iceman. He lulls you into a bad situation and then makes the play. Just does it right every single time. And I like that. So I'm excited about Drake Greenlaw. And I think I'm going to be even more excited when I see him strap up that he's healthy. Uh, because this group, linebacker group together, like you said, with the Fred Warner in the middle, being able to make all the calls that he makes and the understanding of the offense, they're going to be hard to stop. Uh, they're going to be very hard to stop. And look, Dre Greenlaw is just one of those guys, too. The energy he brought once he got back to this roster last year, late in the season, although it was only for a game, <laughs> late in the season, and then in the playoff run, and once he was back in the fold with this group, the energy that he brought to the table, what he was able to, to add to that linebacker room, to the defense, is absolutely phenomenal, is absolutely incredible. And you saw how much this defense struggled identity-wise at times almost in terms of how they wanted to cover who, what guys were going to be in what spots, what guys' roles and responsibilities were. When Dre is not out there, when he's not available, this defense takes a little bit of a downtick. It's not a huge downtick. It's not a disastrous downtick by any means because he wasn't out there for most of the season. And in a shocking turn of events, Anthony Niners' run defense was phenomenal. Yeah, No one was expecting that, but it was nonetheless. And you can credit your front four for that. But imagine how dominant it's going to be with Dre out there on the field. Imagine how good it's going to be to be able to know you have a linebacker out there that you can stick in on wide receivers in the slot and feel very comfortable about what they can do. Covering running backs coming out of the backfield, allowing Aziz to be able to fully unleash his potential to just get downhill, get after the quarterback, send him on blitzes, and also and at times just focus on run stopping and not worried about coverage out in space and things of that nature because it's not his strength. It's not a strength of his. It's really not. And that's okay. It's okay that it's not a strength. Yeah. But also giving Fred Warner a defined role, yeah. defined responsibilities so he can go be the best version of himself instead of being like, hey, Fred, this week we need you to do this. Also this. Also this. Don't don't forget this. Fred, there's also this other thing. When this happens, you got to do this. No, no, no. Fred, this is your responsibilities. Go do this really well. Dre's got the rest. Yeah, and what's going to be fun, too, is the blitzing that's going to come oh. from this linebacker group. Oh. Dre Greenlaw is a very, very talented blitzer, mm -hmm. and I think the 49ers missed that a little bit. But what they also missed was the flexibility to be able to blitz Fred Warner because they didn't have Dre back there anymore. And Aziz was hurt a little bit during the year, too. In fact, Aziz is still kind of nicked up. That's true. Uh, so they got to get him there. And, and well done, everyone, picking up on the Iceman Top Gun reference. Very true. Um, thank you for that. Let so, him, Marvin. Yeah, peace out. Uh, so I'm excited, though, about, you know, this defense. And I seen Lou had a question again about the, the role of Ebucom. He's still not convinced that we need Samson Ebucom. He thinks that other players on this team can fulfill that role. I don't think uh, I think there are players that can fulfill that role. But can they do all of the things that he does? Uh, because I do believe that Samson Ebucom is one of those players that's being underrated right now. And I think that people are going to wake up in the middle of the year and they're going to see that he has six or seven sacks. And they're like, oh, my gosh, what happened with Samson Ebucom? Because Teams are going to have to put a lot of players towards Nick Bosa. Bosa's not, you know, repairing a ACL this time. He's coming back 
full go. He's had a full offseason. It's not going to be 15 and a half sacks this year. And I think the only way that they can keep him to that kind of number is to do what they were doing to his brother last year and triple team him. And if they're starting to triple team Nick Bosa, that means you're singling up everyone across the board. Somebody's getting home. And Armstead's going to be able to put pressure on from the inside funnel them right to Ebicom. It could be a huge year for him. It could be. It could be a gigantic year for him. I'm actually really excited to see what it's going to be. And and look, I, th I think the thing with Samson Ebicom that a lot of people forget is versatility. The amount of versatility he has, because this is a guy who can also cover. He can go out in space and cover. Um, he, he's shown to be absolutely phenomenal against stopping the run and setting the edge on early base downs, which is a problem. It's a problem that the Niners have had in, in terms of you know run defense and being able to not let teams get huge chunk plays and huge run situations on first down and put them in second and five, second and sixes. You know, giving them positive down and yardage there on second, third, second, third, and potentially fourth down if you got fourth and one, fourth and inches. So look, I, I think he was a a, a part and a partial reason for the success of, of that D line being able to do what it did in terms of stopping the run. He'd had plenty of tackles for losses, tackles at the line of scrimmage, bringing guys down for a yard or two gain rather than three, four, five, six um, that we saw in 2020. I mean, do not do not forget in 2020, PCC, the Niners were hitting guys at the line of scrimmage and then getting carried for five, five to six yards. Yeah. A, 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 a carry. It was absolutely nightmarish. It was hard to watch. It really was. That didn't happen with this group. Ebicom was a part of that, scraping down the line. Him and Bosa both do that extremely well, scraping down the line, coming off the backside when guys leave them free and punishing teams for having done so. Um, and, and I mean, the reality is, is Bosa and Ebicom don't get beat that that often, uh, not as often as as Armstead did on play actions, and when they're the free edge rusher on play action boots, uh, they don't get beat that often. Yeah, I think they found the sweet spot for you know Armstead. Mm -hmm. I think Armstead moving to the interior and playing that three tech is should be his more natural position. We know that he has the ability to play, you know, the outside defensive end, which is great. Uh, but I, he's really a five tech. I mean, that's what he is. So he's him playing on the inside seems to be more natural for him. And I think now that he's going to have a full offseason to prepare for it, because Eric kind of talked about the fact that Armstead, you know, went ahead and took a chance there and did something for his team because he didn't prepare for that position. But yet when he was thrust into it, he operated at a high level. Now that he's able to prepare for that role, how much better is Armstead going to be? I think there's something to be said about that. This defensive line is going to be tremendously better with Armstead being inside and making that sacrifice. And I think it could also be the best sacrifice for him. He might end up elevating himself beyond what he already has been. So this defensive line is really getting put together at a high level. And I think it is the nucleus. This front seven is the nucleus for the entire defense. And I think how that front seven goes, the entire defense goes. Uh, so I'm excited about their potential, but it starts with stopping the run because we saw in the NFC championship game, the run game got going for the Rams. And when it did, the 49ers struggled a little bit, even though they did hold the Rams to seven points for most of the game. Uh, I think that the Niners stopping the run this year is one of the main goals. And if they do it, they're going to, they're going to be able to stop a lot of people hold a lot of teams under 17 points. Uh, very, very true. And TCC coming through with some solid, solid questions here. And it's just some solid names. So I saw here from Pimer, Ombre Thomas is going to break out this year. So he's believing it's to be Ombre Thomas. So the only question I would have for Pimer is Ombre Thomas beating out Mosley or beating out Jason Verrett for that role? Or are you predicting or foreseeing a Jason Verrett injury and Ombre Thomas sliding in? Uh, I want to hear from you on that. But Ombre Thomas definitely has the time on, uh, at his favor because you know what? I would still consider it a breakout year for Ombre Thomas. If we got to halfway through the season, there was an injury, he stepped in and then elevated and demonstrated that not only am I now the dude, like I'm a solution now for your secondary going forward. I would consider that a breakout year for Ombre Thomas. I don't think Ombre Thomas, for me, 
doesn't have to do a whole lot other than to continue to grow. And if he gets another opportunity to go in and, and demonstrate that he can be a, a guy that can rely upon and build upon the, the, the positive things we saw from him last year in coverage, the, the nice things, and then fix the, the, the weaknesses, the young stuff, the, the in cover two situations, sitting down in space low when there's nothing in your zone, when you could be sagging back a little bit and providing some extra additional help for your safety covering deep path. Yeah, definitely. I think there's, you know, things that tricks of the trade that are going to come and uh, he's going to get more comfortable with the system and what's asked of him. That's something Edby Combe even said. He's still learning the plays. Um, But this does give Omri Thomas the ability to have time to learn. Uh, So I'm excited about that. And uh, there's nothing wrong with competition, right? No. I mean, if Omri Thomas is the best player and he's going to have a breakout year, it's going to be because he's going to go in there and beat out those other guys. And if he does it, that's good for the 49ers. It's not bad. You know, that means that Emmanuel Mosley, you know, next year they can move on from him in his $6.5 million because they got Ombre Thomas ready to slide in next to Tarverius Ward. And that could be what it actually is. Uh, so I'm excited about, you know, Ombre Thomas's potential. I just don't know where he's going to find snaps this year. You know, I think there'll be certain situations. Maybe he gets in in dime situations or things like that. But I just don't see very many snaps for him because of the addition of Traverius Ward. If Ward wouldn't have came in, there definitely would have been a spot for Ombre Thomas. Uh, but the 49ers are looking to load up at the cornerback position. That's exactly what they did in the offseason. Accurate. Francisco here, DeAnda. If JV gets hurt and retires, do you, do you see him becoming a DB coach for the 49ers in the future or some other team? I think if he was looking to get into coaching, the wealth of knowledge that he has, I think a lot of a lot of teams would love to have him, including Kyle Shanahan. I think Kyle Shanahan would love to have Jason Verrett, you know, in and around the facility and the way that the t- other players look up to him. I think he'd be a dynamite pick. And, you know, that's one of the things Richard Sherman has spoke very highly of Jason Verrett's knowledge. The fact that, you know, somebody like Richard Sherman, who understands football at a high level, would say some really nice things about Jason Verrett. If he was willing to make that grind and get into coaching, I think I think 32 teams would line up to want to hire him. I mean, he's demonstrated that he can play at a high level and when healthy, and just because your body has failed you in, in that aspect doesn't mean the mind isn't uh, the thing that can take over. And look, uh, a lot of people thought that maybe JB had lost a step after coming back from numerous ACLs and numerous injuries and just not being able to stay healthy. And while that wasn't, it didn't end up actually being the case, the mind is the thing that probably helped him through those, those times and situations and practices, games, whatever, when maybe his body wasn't feeling 100%, and he's not playing at his peak, but he understands what a team wants to do, he understands the scheme, he understands that offensive coordinator on the other side, and how he likes to put guys into positions, and if that guy's name was Cliff Kingsbury, then he only needed to know one half the field, because the other half of the field was exactly the same, which was always nice, thank you, Cliff, we appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but look, I think Jason Verrett, Jason Verrett is someone who definitely has a lot of avenues open after football. Um, he's a highly intelligent guy, a highly intelligent young man, and does have a great understanding of the game itself, in and of itself. The real question is, is at what level, if he was interested in coaching, would he want to pursue? Because there's plenty of guys, Ant, who have kids, families, all that fun stuff, and don't want to start off coaching at the professional level. They want to go coach their kids. They want to be available to, to watch their kids play, be around their kids, give them some advice, be there for them and support so if he is interested in coaching, and it wouldn't shock me, the real question is, is where? What are the other priorities in his life, and where does he want to be? Because it might not be at the NFL level. Yeah, I mean, if he's got a lot of priorities that pre- would prevent him from making that full-time commitment to the NFL, which is crazy. That's why Staley doesn't want to do it. It's true. Um, then, yeah, high school or you know, or youth football would definitely be an option. We know Rod Woodson did that. You know, In fact, I coached mm-hmm. against Rod Woodson a little bit. Um, and so this is something that definitely happens. And so if he decided to do that and coaches kids, I don't think anyone would, you know, bat an eye. 
but he has the potential to coach in the NFL if he wants. Absolutely. He has an understanding of the game. So we'll see what happens with Jason Brett. But, you know, I, I think it was, who is it? P. Murray that says uh, Jason Brett's already coaching these kids. He is. P. Murray you know, ain't wrong. He ain't wrong. You know, ain't he's wrong. out there doing things for these uh, for these players. And Charverse Ward talked about it a little bit. So I like that. I like that Jason Brett's aspect and what he's adding to this team, the leadership qualities, is something that's hard to find. And so I really like him. Uh, an ex channeling his inner chiseled Adonis, if you guys don't know who that is on YouTube, uh, makes a lot of. Uh, commentary stuff and a lot of a lot of comedy stuff uh but he always refers to the power of the dreadlocks okay. and the dbs because he, he's, he claims all the best dbs dbs have dreadlocks and uh and i can think of a lot of really good dbs including one guy named richard sherman ant who uh locked down with the dreadlocks for a long time yeah so there you go yeah and you know i mean uh if if us being objective about a player is hate, then I guess we'll we'll take on the hate. But we're just being objective about what we see on the field from a player. True. Uh, so, so that's how it is. So if it's if it's hate, hate on. Hate on. Uh, Ronnie Montoya, do you think with the speed of this defense, we see more blitzing this year? Ideally, I think D'Amico Ryan's if he could blitz as often as possible would. He's a very aggressive defensive coordinator. We have not seen a tentative, timid not wanting to be aggressive and assert himself defensively. D'Amico Ryan's, for gosh darn sakes, and last season on third down, whether it was third short, third long, if it was third down in anything, we went man and showed a lot of pressure. Whether that pressure came or not, we went man. Even in times where we're sitting there going, we don't have the horses to go man. What are you doing, D'Amico? We still did it. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I really do... Um, like the things that D'Amico Ryan did. He's one of those guys you can tell figures out what his players are really good at and then tries to put them in those situations to be successful. So if he has a player that has a lot of length and plays with length, he uses them, you know, in certain zone matchups. I think D'Amico Ryan's is a guy that understands what he needs to do for this defense. And I'm looking forward to this defense taking a next step because I think he's just going to get in more of a groove in the second year. I, I think there are things he figured out early on in that year. We've seen him struggle a little bit at times, uh, but he figured it out, and by the end of the year, that defense was one of the best in the leagues. And I, league, and I felt like D'Amico Ryan's was the one pulling the strings and putting everyone in the right positions. Uh, so I expect just even more growth from D'Amico Ryan's. A big papa coming through here with a, but if you don't have to blitz to get home, if you can just get home with your front four, why blitz? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If you don't have to blitz, don't. Uh, because blitzing puts you in precarious situations because anytime you pull someone in a blitz, you leave an avenue for that quarterback to be able to strike. And we know some of these quarterbacks are absolutely fantastic against blitz. Tom Brady. Oh, man, some of them are ridiculous because they teach you when the blitz comes, throw right where the blitz came from. That's the void in the defense. So sometimes it can leave you at risk, and other times it pays off with big rewards. That's why disguising coverage and disguising Blitzes is so important. Very true. Freddie Mac Dre and focusing on the things that need to be focused on, though. We can't afford to lose D'Amico Ryans at this point. Stop the coaching exodus. No salary cap from the front office and none at all whatsoever. Mr. Corey, get your pitchforks, get your picket signs, grab your torches, round up the faithful, head down to, to NFL HQ and just protest. No no salary cap for the front office. This is nonsense. Yeah, I, when it comes down to it, D'Amico Ryans is going to want to be a head coach at some point. Accurate. He's just looking for the right situation. <laughs> he didn't feel Minnesota was the right situation. And I think when he finds the right situation, he will go. True. It's unfortunate, but when you have a good organization and a really good head coach like Kyle Shanahan, you're going to consistently lose coaches. Bill Walsh did it. I mean, he lost how many great coaches? How wow. many great coaches came out of the 49ers organization, including George Seifert, you know, also in, in, ended up losing coaches. 
It's just the name of the game, unfortunately. And that's when you start seeing uh, the wealth of players be spread as well, because now you're getting the similar systems all throughout the league. So now when they're drafting players, they're drafting all the players that you would be high on. Um, so it's definitely interesting to watch, and it's it's a new wave of coaching in the NFL. Uh, accurate, and it is a new wave of coaching. That's all it is. Uh, but look, at the end of the day, this is what happens, right? You guys are going to get opportunities. Coaches are going to get chances. They're going to get their their moment in the sun, I guess is the right way to put it, or their 15 minutes of fame, however you want to spin it. Um, they're going to get their opportunity to go out there and demonstrate that, number one, A, they know what they're doing, but number two, um, that it works, that their methodology, their philosophy, how they implement um, the pieces they have, how they make them fit and mesh together works, and that a team needs to take a chance on them. And it's very rare that you get coaches that don't have I don't want to say ulterior motives because it's not really ulterior. Ulterior motives would be kind of like what Thomas Sula did with with the with Harbaugh behind the scenes, right? It was like kind of petitioning and I'm the guy that you can trust and lean on. Hire me the meat sweats. I'll take care of everything for you. That's an ulterior motive. But all of these coaches have aspirations. They they most of them don't come in wanting to do one specific thing or just being in a role or just being an assistant or being a coordinator. Most coaches come in because they want to be the very best of the best, and one of the best ways to demonstrate that is to be a guy who can manage the entirety of a football team, and that means being a head coach or you know being you know a, a head assistant coach or whatever role you want to find yourself in or put yourself into. Um, so it's very rare that you get the Chris Kisarics of the world that hey, I, I don't want a coordinating job, I just D line. That's it. The entirety of my career. That's that's all I want to do. There are some guys who start off wanting things, get to a role, get to a place, get to a situation, and like you know what. I thought I wanted that, but really, this right here is what I've been looking for all along. Um, but most coaches want that opportunity. They want that chance, and D'Amico definitely is going to want to take that chance. Yeah, I think so. You know, he wants to try to prove that he can do it at the highest level. And, you know, I mean, when you, whenever you're a competitor, and a lot of football players especially that are competitors, they want to prove that they're the man, you know, that they can do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with proving, wanting to prove that you're the best at your craft anywhere and i think that's what D'Amico wanted some some time he's also a leader of men i mean he does a really good job of of leading and i think he'll be a really good head coach at some point i just hope it's you know maybe not next no he's gonna be a head coach it's gonna be next year yeah if it it didn't happen next year i would yeah i i honestly thought that Uh, it wouldn't be this year only because of the fact that everyone's going offensive coordinators Um, but somebody's going to carve out a role for D'Amico Ryans because they're about to have another excellent defensive year and it's just going to be too too hard for a general our general manager or owner to look at D'Amico Ryans and be like you know what that guy is fully put together he understands everything that he needs to know about defense we need to get that guy in here to lead our team he can turn a program around agreed Shane yo fellas yo what's up sir Jag with another two dollar super chat at TCC how confident should we be if Brendel is center? I mean, I think you have to be confident in Kyle Shannon and John Lynch, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. that's what it comes down to. They, they're going to be putting Brendel out there with the anticipation that he's going to be able to play at a, a high level. The problem is right now we haven't seen Brendel play. No. There's nothing about you know any of this that makes you feel confident because, as I saw someone put in chat earlier, I think it was Juanito, uh, it's projection over production right now. And there's a lot of projection that comes with this offensive line, whether that's Aaron Banks, Jake Brendel, or even if Jalen Moore starts at right guard. Uh, there's just a lot of project- projection there. And until we see it on the field, it's not going to make us feel better. The good news is July 29th, training camp starts. That means everyone's going to be able to get to see what these guys can do and hear about how Brendel and how these other guys are progressing. And maybe then we'll feel a little bit calmer, but probably not until we get into the preseason and we see Brendel take a few snaps. Uh, agreed. Um, as for your question, Jag, no, no comment. 
I, I don't know what to comment. I don't know what to say. I, the reality is, is that I need to see something in order to have faith or no faith, and I haven't seen anything. So yeah. there's not really anything for me to feel on this other than hope. I can hope that he is the guy that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch believe he potentially could be and that Forrester believes he could be, but they're also in the same boat as well. They're in the hope boat right now. You're banking and betting on this guy being able to do what you need him to do. You brought him in last year. You let him sit. You let him develop. You let him learn. And he got another year with, with Forrester in this offense and, and just learning and working under a coach and working in a system. And now you see what it turns into and what it translates into. You were hoping it wouldn't have to come to this. I mean, ideally, you want to roll with Alex Mack. I mean, why, why wouldn't you? A guy who, you know, at, towards the back end of his career, he literally just retired, was a pro bowler. We played in the Super Bowl on a broken freaking leg. Yeah, you want to roll with that guy in a shocking turn of events. Yeah. Uh, but look, I, I'm not going to knock it one way or the other. I'm not going to sit here and say that I don't have any faith in him whatsoever. I believe that he can get the job done. The coaching staff does. And I'm sorry, I haven't seen anything from this coaching staff that makes me believe that their credibility or ability to evaluate talent is like not good or like not even competent. Like I, I'm not there with this this coaching staff or this front office. So I believe they're, they, they probably got this right. But I, I will reserve judgment and decision making and until we get to see a little bit of Brendel in action. Yeah, I mean, they admitted now we have a little bit of the timeline of when Alex Mack told him he wasn't coming back. So um, they had an idea and this is the route that they wish to go with it was Brendel competing with, you know, some of these young guys, Donovan West. Uh, we know Kyle Shannon threw Brunskill out there, but I think Brunskill is going to be in the mix for right guard as well. Uh, so I think that there's still things that need to be decided, but they feel somewhat confident with Brendel. If they didn't, I think they would bring in a J.C. Treader, go out and make a move. And so far, they haven't been willing to do that. Uh, so until then, it looks like it's going to be Jake Brendel. And I think we just got to go watch it and see what happens. And maybe he will be that guy. Uh, I agree with you. I hope that is the case. Ryan's was an excellent linebacker and now a great D.C. I'd love to have him stay so we get some stability with the coaching staff. Agreed 100%. Freddie would love that to be the case. But... Part of the problem with success and part of the problem with guys demonstrating that they can be that dude uh, is that teams are going to come a calling. They're going to want to bring what you brought to the table, what you added to the mix in, in a successful organization like San Francisco and allow you to expand upon it and lay the foundation to to let that grow and foster in their organization with their team, with their with their you know front office and their culture so that they can have the same success. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, anytime that... You have an opportunity to advance your role and, and get a, a higher paycheck and everything else. I think everyone looks to do that. Um, so I think this is just normal for a coach to want to be able to advance and then get better at their craft. And this is an opportunity D'Amico Ryans is going to have during the offseason. I fully expect with the right opportunity. And I think it comes down to the right quarterback. Yeah. Uh, with the right opportunity, the right quarterback. He's seen what happened with the Jets. They're going through you know kind of the struggles and they got the rookie quarterback, of course. And I think he's going to do okay this year, Zach Wilson. But I think you would like to you know, land with an established quarterback. And I think that's something Kyle Shanahan, you know, has talked to D'Amico about. And there's a little bit of unsettling, you know, with the quarterback positions around the league. So I think once D'Amico finds a spot, he'll lock in. He's going to be gone. It's unfortunate. Uh, but with the 49ers organization the way it is, they'll probably get a really good defensive coordinator to take his spot. So far, Kyle Shanahan has done a very good job of going from one great coach to another. Uh, yes, they have continually done that time and time again, Ant. And a lot of people were questioning the D'Amico Ryan signing last year. In fact, places like PFF said the Niners were going to take a huge step backwards defensively because of a rookie, untested, unproven defensive coordinator who hadn't done a whole lot. And we're sitting there, I mean, but but there's Nick Bosa and, and all these other names and pieces. Like, it's going to be fine. It ended up being just fine. So if you end up having to do it again, I'm really not worried about Kyle Shanahan and, and John Lynch 
putting the right guy in the right place because they've done it time and time again at a lot of different spots and a lot of different positions, whether it's D coordinators, position coaches, um, just quality control assistants that they're bringing in to develop and groom. You don't see a lot of these quality control assistants and coming into San Francisco and then remaining quality control assistants. They're coming in, they're learning, moving on to bigger and better roles and then getting signed away by other teams. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity for advancement when you're with the 49ers, whether that's in the 49ers organization or outside. And that's why coaches want to be with Kyle Shanahan. They, number one, they want to see how he does it at the highest level. They want to get a little bit of that knowledge. And then that way they can go, you know, spread their wings a little bit. They're a peacock. You got to let them fly. Uh, and they're going to go ahead and, and spread their wings and go do things at other places. I think it's smart for coaches to come in and Kyle Shanahan's continual you know, way of uh, handling the changeover has been really nice so far. This is his biggest undertaking that he has this year. There's been a lot of changeover with this coaching staff, but I do believe Kyle Shanahan handled it in a big way because he did also bring in some some really big names like Anthony Lynn and Brian Greasy that mm -hmm. understand how to do it at the highest level. So he went out and got guys who have never coached before, and he went and got guys that are young guys that are hungry looking to establish themselves in this league. Absolutely. We're going to see uh, how that pans out for San Francisco short-term and long-term, and because there's quality control coaches sitting there waiting to, waiting to see what they're going to be. And, uh, yeah, there's still the, the guys they brought in now that are going to be taking over roles and filling shoes like Mike McDaniels in the short term. So we're going to see how that all plays out and pans out. But TCC, if there's any more... Uh, breakout defensive players, leave them in chat right now. We've heard from the TCC and we've heard Ombre Thomas. We've heard Talano Hufanga. People got very excited about Dre Greenlaw and then Charles Amenehu and Samson had become maybe a little 50-50 with the cutback crew in terms of how much they truly believe either one of those guys could be breakout guys. But it seems to be the case that, that Talano Hufanga seems to be the fan favorite right now for a lot of people to break out. People have a lot of questions about Kinlaw and his health. Um, and we'll see. Maybe Aubrey Thomas will shock the world. It'll surprise everybody coming in, beating out an Emmanuel Mosley on the outside, you know, beating out a Jason Verrett for that for a, a third role there, or maybe the role to play outside. And they plan to move Mosley inside all along. We're gonna wait to see and find out what happens. I I don't hate when anyone beats somebody out. Nope. Whenever nice. somebody beats somebody out, that means that they were the better player, and you always want the best player to play. Think about last year, right? Yeah. Tom Compton beating out Colton McKivitz was the shock of shocks when the 53-man roster came out, and everyone was absolutely biffed by this, baffled, can't believe it. What does this say about Colton McKivitz? It really didn't say anything about Colton McKivitz. It said a lot about Tom Compton. Yeah, and Compton did it in a big way when they Huge. needed him. When McGlinchey went down, it was, it was unsettled at that right tackle spot. And then Compton stepped in. I mean, did Compton have his struggles in the past game sometimes? Yes. Of course he did. Yes. Uh, but in the run game, he was absolutely fantastic. And I do believe he was a big part of the 49ers being able to get to the playoffs and the ultimately the NFC Championship game. So, I mean, they know what they're doing. Chris Forster understands. That's why right now they've built up enough credibility when it comes to Forster and this offensive line that if they decide it's going to be Jake Brendel at center, I'm okay with it. We're going to see what happens, and we're going to see what happens. If Freddie Matcher, you're not wrong. Competition makes everyone better. And as Horst always says, iron sharpens iron, folks. It really does. Yeah, that's true. And Fortall is saying Jackson is my Ooh, pick for right now. He's putting the pressure on the youngin. Yeah, you know, I like Jackson a lot. I just think there's so much development that needs to go there. And there's just uh, so much competition in that room. There is. I think he's, and right now, I think he's a situational pass rusher with developmental pass rush skills. So I don't know if he's going to be able to be able to set the edge in the, against the run. That's one of the things that concerns me about him being able to play a lot of snaps. So I think Drake Jackson might actually be more redshirted this year. I think he'll get some playing time here and there, but I don't know what his role is going to be. I hope I'm wrong, and I hope Drake Jackson, when we get to training camps out there, lighting it up, 
because I would love to see this rotation be even better with Drake Jackson being a big impact player. Agreed. I would 100% prefer to see a Drake Jackson lighting up the world, Ant. Uh, but what have we seen from especially 49ers draft picks the last couple of seasons, especially second, third round guys, fourth round guys? Redshirting. One year. One year development, getting ready. Shoot, we saw it for Trey Lance even. Uh, first round pick, third overall pick. One year. One year to develop and, and get yourself into the system and be able to operate the way they want you to operate. And then we let you roll. The only real only real one I can think of off the top of my head that was not that, was not really in a red shirt type role where he came in right away, guns blazing, was Kinlaw. And that was specifically because there was injuries and he had to step in and, and play more than I think they would have wanted him to have to do. Yeah, I think Elijah Mitchell as well. That's uh, thrust, true. Exact That's true. same situation just on offense. Thrust in there because, you know, most are circumstance. Jeff Wilson Jr. is gone. Like that wasn't the intention of what happened with Elijah Mitchell or with Kinlaw, like you said. Yeah. I think they expected Kinlaw to be a part of the rotation, but not to play the amount of snaps he was playing. So that's the only case in which these guys get out there and play big time, you know, reps and roles. And with the fact that they had Aaron Banks set out the entire year, Drake Jackson's a, a, a pick at 61st overall. It doesn't mean he's going to be making an impact this year. I think he's going to have opportunities because with the defense, is a, a rotation is a lot more, you know, ideal than on the offensive line. You can't exactly rotate Aaron Banks in the middle of the game. Uh, we'll see. Big Papa, you are correct. They did not redshirt. They, he didn't say that he didn't redshirt, but he said, did they redshirt Bosa with some laughing? No, they didn't redshirt Bosa. But how many Fred Bo how many Nick Bosa's have said Fred Warner and Nick Bosa's say How many Nick Bosa's? How many Nick Bosa's are drafted every year? Well, Bosa was the second overall pick. But how many of those Bosa's are drafted every year? No, not very many. Not many. No. I mean, but there's a difference between, right, a yeah. top 10 pick starting in the NFL and a, a pick 61. You know, it, I, Shoot, I think, even a pick 30. Yeah, I think there's a big difference there. And so, um, but, you know, Paul's right. Paul's definitely right. You um, know, Bosa played right away. And then, I expect Bosa to play right away because he was that dang good. I expected it as well. Yeah. He was he was pretty phenomenal. He was pretty phenomenal. Oh, it's Gary. What's up, Gary? I hope you're doing well, Gary. What's up, Gary? Um, Gary, Gary hasn't been feeling well. So prayer's still going out to Gary, but glad to see you in chat. Good to see you in chat. Hopefully, hopefully you feel good. And yes, two Bosa's so far. Well, there's no other Bosa's coming unless, you know, the Bosa's have kids and then they eventually find their way to the league. There are no more of, of this Bosa generation coming. So it could be because, you know, their dad played in the NFL. So maybe we'll see a new generation of Bosa someday. God, I hope it's like four of them. Yeah. I hope they each have four. Yeah. Are, can they be just... predetermined to have to play for the 49ers? It'd be great. Yeah. We signed them to exclusive rights deals right now. Yeah, Nick Saban probably will. He'll be dead before they actually play for him, but he'll do it. He had a 12-year-old out there this time. Yeah. Kid's like six foot four, like 350 pounds. Yeah, I can't believe it, dude. I really, yeah. really cannot believe it. Look, TZZ, it was a lot of fun talking defensive breakout players with you. We've still got tons more to talk about all offseason long. So make sure that you're subscribed to the 49ers Cutback right here on the channel. Make sure you hit that notification bell. Like the video if you haven't already. Share it with the rest of the faithful. And uh, as Jess has been saying and Heather has been saying in the chat, um, do not, do not sleep on becoming a channel member because you get extra exclusive content like Slightly Offsides with Ant and the Horst as well as Hit or Miss, which has uh, been a big hit so far. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff over on Patreon, and there's only going to be more and more as the you know offseason continues to ramp up. Uh, there's always some fun stuff, so I, make sure you guys have a chance to check over there. Be over on Patreon. Also, be a channel member. I think there's opportunities for you uh, to enjoy some extra content that you don't get right here on the channel. Uh, but then we're going to be ramping it up on the channel as well, so be ready for all the content that's coming your way. It's going to be a fun offseason. Of course, when we get to training camp, that's when everything really sparks out of control. 
from training camp throughout the season. It's going to be a lot of fun. Going to be a blast. You're not going to miss any of it. So make sure you subscribe, hit that notification bell. And uh, Ant, I think it's about that time. Yeah, it is. So let's uh, let's chalk another one up. Later, TCC. Catch you, uh, catch you on the flippity flip.